Hey everyone, and welcome to Behind the Box. I'm your host, Sherry, and we'll be interviewing passionate people who are on top of their game, discussing all things workplace culture and diving a little deeper into thought-provoking topics we think you'll love. We truly hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business, or workplace. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, I hope you had an amazing week. This week's episode is with Adrian Petrie. So like most of us, he had no idea what he wanted to do straight after high school. And so he went into university to study business. Struggling to stay motivated and focused at school, in his final year, he realized he was wasting all the opportunities his parents had worked so hard for. Fast forward to today and he is bringing in up to $650,000 in fees for the company he works for and has just written his first book, Lead from the Front. I'm personally really inspired by his story and it goes to show there's no traditional path to great leadership. Hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening. So tell us about yourself. Where do you want to start? Let's start from your story of when you were a basketball referee yeah and you were working out your life yeah sure and how you fell into that because i saw that you were doing that for like 12 years yeah yeah I've yeah done, done that for a little while <laughs> yeah so i so i was a terrible student mm-hmm. going through uh high school and university um horrible had a poor work ethic and really uh couldn't commit to anything but what I could commit to was my basketball mm-hmm. and I was able to go all in on that. Um, I worked really, really hard at, at what I was doing um, and that got to see me travel around the country, um, which is really cool. It taught me a lot about business and, and people actually because um, you, you, you have to communicate with people in a hostile environment. You have to understand that people have different motivations and, and, and they're trying to achieve different things. And at the same time, you're trying to deliver an overall quality product, which is a, a good game that the crowd comes to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, you're competing with your fellow referees to, to go up the ranks and, and to get finals games, but at the same time, you have to work with them. So there was a whole lot of different things going on all at once as a referee and um, and that was an awesome, special time of my life. Did um, you start off by playing basketball I at did. school? Yeah, yeah, I was a terrible player. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? No good, no good. So I went down the refereeing route and, um, and that yeah. shaped a lot of, as I said, a lot of what I learned about communication and, and working with people. Yep, yep. Um, and so why were you a bad student? And what do you mean? Like, what does a bad student look like for you? A bad student for me was someone who didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. So I never look at somebody and, and class them as good or bad at their particular chosen field based on their results. Mm-hmm. Um, I would look at somebody, uh, whether they're you know good at sport or a good employee or, or a good friend, based on their effort. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say I was a bad student is because I put in no effort. Um, I made excuses. I didn't go to class. Um, because I didn't go to class, I didn't make many friends there. It mm-hmm. was just... Like a cycle. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a lack of effort that made me a poor student. And why do you think you had that lack of effort? Because obviously you've gone all in on a few things now, mm. but mm. why do you think back then it was like that? I think it was uncertainty about what I wanted to do with my life and where I was going. Yeah. I think as I've learned more about myself, uh, understanding what's important to me and a bit of a, a purpose or a why, you know, when we talk about, about having a why... Mm. Um, I think I started to learn about myself and what I was trying to achieve. Whereas when I was studying, I didn't really feel like I was achieving much. Um, and learning just wasn't for me. Learning much from that. I love learning, mm. um, but real life tangible things yeah, that you can put in the place. Doing, the 100%. Doing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Have you gone through university? Yeah. You have. I did, yeah. 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 So I don't know what your experience was, but I found uni was so just fluffy, and I was it was just courses yeah. and subjects for the sake of doing it yeah for me it was like what I should be doing it yep. was like finish school go to uni get a good job that 100%. was kind of the route so I just I just went with that and did that but you don't necessarily apply all the things that you're learning at uni or high school either um yeah it's just different isn't it when, no, you, when you go into the real world and very. you're doing the doing um and I was actually talking to Mikey as well about how different people learn in different ways so yes. 
um, people, there's people that, you know, learn a lot more by doing. There's people who learn a lot more by listening or, um, you know, by visual cues. So that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and so talking about your why, what is your why? And can you tell us also how you came up with your why and how you discovered what that was? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I, I didn't know coming through university. All I knew was that I was wasting an opportunity. Um, I knew that my parents had worked so hard and so tirelessly um, their whole lives to give my brother and I every opportunity in the world. We, you know, we, we had everything we could ever ask for and, and want and need. Mm-hmm. We had all the support in the world. But I knew I was squandering an opportunity by being lazy and not putting in that effort. So at that point, I didn't know what my why was. What were you doing at uni? I studied management. Yeah. Studied is a real loose term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I studied management. I have a degree in management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as I'm sure we'll talk about later, that's really not where I learnt most about management. Yeah. But to answer your question, I didn't know at that point in time. But what I did know was that I had to change my mindset um, and I had to make a commitment to myself that I was going to do something with my life. I needed to give myself a bit of a kick up the bum. Um, don't worry, my mum gave me one as well. Gonna, yeah, I was going to say, what led you to that moment? Like, what made you shift your mindset from someone who, you know, wasn't really paying much attention to uni and, mm. like, going through that period of life, mm. you know, without putting much effort in? What What made you realise that, okay, I want to take on all these opportunities yeah. I'm so blessed to have in front of me? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I felt like a failure. Um I think I felt like I was just wasting an opportunity and I talk a lot about regret um, in my life and, and you know, with, with, with my staff and people I'm trying to get a point across to and I realised that I didn't want to have regret and I realised that I had potential to be... I was the type of kid that could be good at anything I put my mind to so long as I worked extraordinarily hard for it. Mm-hmm. I was never the type of person that stuff just came easily to but, and a, you know, I was always a slow learner, but once I got a concept and once I put it into practice time and time again, then I became really good at it. And so knowing this about myself, I knew that if I didn't try something, I'd never actually be able to amount to anything. Yeah. So I didn't know what my why was. I'm still figuring out, but I knew I had to make a change. Um, and that's when I guess led me to, to the work that I do in recruitment. Um, you know, I'd been applying for jobs and um, I, was, I was looking at admin roles and basically anything that I could do just to get my foot in the door yeah. so that now that I've had this mindset shift, I could show people that, hey, here's a kid who just wants to learn, he wants to work hard because by this time I'd kind of figured out that I had to work hard. Yeah. Um, just like I'd done with my basketball that, that saw me travel around the country and, and I wanted to show them that so that hopefully someone would go, hey, here's a good young kid, he just wants, to, wants a shot, let's give him a shot. Anyway, because my grades were so poor, I was just average. Yeah, I had a degree behind me, but I was competing with people who had amazing grades now. Mm. And it's so competitive. So competitive. Yeah. So I got knocked back, knocked back, knocked back. Couldn't couldn't get an interview to save myself. I now know why, because of what I was saying on the telephone in mm. the phone interviews. Perhaps you're a recruiter. Yes, yes I now know <laughs> now why. Now I've got all the tips. That's right. Um but I just made a commitment. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what that purpose was, but I knew I had to do something. I knew I was passionate about working with people through my basketball. I knew I was passionate about business um, and I fell into the perfect thing. And I guess... How did you know you were... Uh, sorry to like, no, interrupt right. you, right. but how did you know you were passionate about business? I like money, okay. to be completely honest with yeah. you. Yep. Um, money is a tool that allows first of all you to live a more comfortable life mm-hmm. and to live a life that um it gives more opportunities more choice more choice mm-hmm. but that's from a selfish perspective from a selfless perspective without money you can't help people as much as you would like to yeah you can always give and donate time and effort mm-hmm. you know you can always be selfless that way but at the end of the day if you want to make a real lasting impactful change in the world it takes capital that's just the reality um and so I wanted to live a big life and be able to support my family and, you know, 
uh, give back to my parents like they had given me so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, I've got a bit of a, like a, a vision board page thing on my wall yeah. and right in the centre is a picture of, um, of the, the Blossom. I love a good vision board. Yeah. <laughs> so, What's in the centre? It's, uh, it's a picture of Blossom from um, Japan yeah. because in Japan they have a, a Blossom festival or something like that. And my yeah, mum it's loves, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. so you Blossom know. Scene, yeah. yeah, mum loves Blossom and... And a dream of mine is to be able to send her to Japan to go and witness that. But this stuff takes this stuff takes money, you see. And so I knew that to make money, you had to get into business. And and I liked working with people. I liked helping people. So I knew I had to do something that involved business and and people, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? I've gone off on a tangent. No. How did I find my purpose? No, yeah, yes, yeah. so that was the core. And then I asked you about how you how you discovered that you wanted to that you liked business because yeah. you just yeah. been studying. So that, right. that answers that one. Yep. So to that point, um, I, I still didn't know, mm. but I had to commit to something, and I just went all in. And the more I put myself in uncomfortable situations, the more I discovered what was important to me and what aligned with my values and, and what didn't. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, you just do anything that anyone asks of you. But then as you yeah. gain a little bit more experience, a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more traction, then you start going, hang on, my values dictate my behaviour in a certain way. So when presented with another opportunity, even though it's within that business framework, within that helping people framework, which is what recruitment is, you know, I help people by solving a client's problems. Yeah. I help people by getting people jobs. Yeah. I can do all of that by recruiting, but as I started to learn what was important to me within that business framework, I started going, oh, hang on, I want to I partner with the right types of people. Mm-hmm. So that purpose developed over time. Um, as I learned more about myself, as, in I, as I had more experiences, as I grew as a person, and I could see, hey, I resonate with this way of doing things. I resonate with how these people treat others. I don't resonate with this way of doing things. That doesn't align with my values. I'm yeah. not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And that kind of just is still evolving. Yeah. Um, and what, and what, some are, what are some of those values that you feel like have led you to kind of where you are now and who? who the people are that you've chosen to work with. Yeah, yeah. Selflessness is a massive one for me. To me, that's what leadership is all about, selflessness, giving to others. Um, I was lucky. One of my biggest clients that I first started working with had some amazing, amazing people um, at the helm. They were were the sweetest people you'd ever find. Of course, they demanded results, but they genuinely cared about you once Mm. you did the hard work to prove yourself and build a relationship with them. And I resonated with that. Yeah. I was able to form a relationship with them. I was able to give them the results that they needed. And I felt proud of the work that I was doing. Yeah. On the flip side of that, that particular organisation changed and they got new executives, new directors, new levels of management. And that those managers just came in and destroyed people, really. I used to field phone calls from candidates all the time saying this is what my new manager's doing and saying to me. And, you know, it was really affecting a lot of people and and I could see how much it was impacting their lives. Work is a massive, massive Mm -hmm. chunk of our life. Yeah. And, you know, as much as you try to leave issues at the door before you go home, the reality is people take things home with them. And I could see how it was affecting so many different people because of the negativity that a new breed of managers had brought in. in. Mm. So I learned that, this way was what was important to me. And it was only through experience, do you know what I mean? I always yeah. knew that I wanted to be a good person, but it wasn't until you witness until you get exposed to it all and what that's yeah. all about. And then, oh, well, that, that doesn't resonate with people. That's actually hurting people. Yeah. That I went, I want to align myself with this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And so I know that leadership is really important to you. And do you want to tell us about um, the weekend or the few days that you had yeah, with Grant? This is crazy. This is crazy. So my partner, Rebecca, and I have been writing books. Rebecca's been writing on igniting your spark and finding your purpose. I've obviously been writing on leadership. Yeah. Anyway, this has been going on for five, six, seven months, however long behind the scenes and and, you know, you find spare hours in the night when you finish work and, and you work over the weekends. And it had been a lot of work. Anyway, I was a couple of months away from finishing, as was Beck. Yeah. 
and we got to this event. It was a, a sales and marketing business boot camp up in Sydney. And, uh, and Grant was presenting, and Grant Cardone's a very eccentric man, as, as you may know. Um, you know, he, he owns 15 different companies, turns over 150 million um, a year in revenue, owns a, or heads up a $1.2 billion property portfolio, mm. like big dog in mm. the sales and marketing space. So anyway, I knew going into this, for me to get the most value out of these couple of days that we'd spent money to be at, I needed to immerse myself into this event. Events aren't something that I typically go to. Yeah. I'm typically pretty reserved and, and, and shy, these sort of things. So I thought, I've just got to do it, Adrian. you just got to commit and, and go you for it. You don't come across like that, by the way. <laughs> I guess, you know what, that's practice yeah. from being yelled at from yeah. hundreds of people at basketball. That's what that is. Yeah. So I was like, I've just got to go for it and, yeah. and give it my best. Just do it, yeah. So we come to the end of day one. And he's asking um, some people around the room what their key learn was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I look at our table and no one says anything, so I put my hands up. If you want to ask a question or if you want to speak at these events, um, someone with a microphone runs over and all of a sudden there's a camera in your face. Oh, my God, it's been recorded. It's been recorded. Yeah. And here's little old me like... Uh. I've got a question. Yes. Just yeah. absolutely nervous because yeah. of the caliber of it person is, that I'm yeah, trying to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, anyway, I, I said... what I can't even remember what I said I blacked out and um and he turns around and he's like what's your business sir and I'm like oh well because we're in a room full of business owners yeah I'm like well I'm in a different stage I'm actually writing a book that's what I'm doing and yeah. somehow I, I like I said I blank out somehow Beck ends up with the mic of course and, yeah of course <laughs> standard right and Beck ends up with the mic and he asks her the same question and she's like I'm trying to write a book he's like well, guys what's this trying to you're either doing or you're not yeah. He's like, you know, people get so caught up in perfection um, that it holds you back. One of the themes of the day was um, quantity over quality. And this, this challenged a lot of people in the room. Um, and he did preface it. He said, look, you guys here are running businesses. I'm not saying put out crap. Mm-hmm. Of course, you need a good quality product and a good quality service. But, you, but for the most part, people get so caught up in making it perfect that they don't actually end up getting anything out. He said... I have people come up to me all the time telling me about my spelling mistakes, the errors in my books, but guess what? And he like looks at the crowd and he's like, international bestseller, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine his face right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the whole point he was making was there's no trying. You're either doing or you're not. Yeah. And so he said to Beck, he's like, if you, I'll tell you what, if you get your book published, um, if you get your book finished by Sunday, so this is Monday, so we've got a week, if you get your book finished by Sunday, I'll promote it on my channels. And anyway, Beck's like, what about him? Yeah. And he's like, he won't get it done. He spends too long combing his hair and like the crowd. Oh. And so anyway, cut a long story short, we have, um, I have a photo with him at the end of the day. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, I go up to him and I'm like, will you be in serious? Will you actually do that? Will you do that for both of our books? Yeah. And will you be in serious? And he basically laughed at me. He's like, there's no way you're getting it done by Sunday. But sure, all right, if you want. Yeah. And so you committed, anyone, that's it. You're holding to, that's to account it. now. I walked off and I'm like pointing. I'm like, you're on, mate. You're on. Yeah. He didn't know how much of a stubborn little mule I am. I'm yeah. like, you're on. Yeah. So after we had spoken to him, someone on the other side of the room put up their hand. Um, her name's Susan from Dean Publishing. She's been bloody amazing. She's like, I own a publishing company and I actually want to help those guys publish their books. And so Beck and I are sitting there like, what's going on here? Like, this is all happening so fast. She comes and finds us after the event or after the, we'd finished doing what we are doing. And she's like, do you know why he said this to you? He said this to you because he doesn't think he can do it. So he'll happily say anything to a crowd full of people because he doesn't think they're actually going to take action on it. And she's like, so this is a great opportunity. Let's make it happen. I'll move all of my team off their other projects. Oh um, yeah, we'll work around the clock to make this happen. She's like, it's not going to be perfect, but let's make it happen. We can't pass up on this opportunity. And she was not lying when she said we'll work around the clock. The designers and the, her team were literally working to like 5 a.m. some mornings. We were getting emails all throughout the night. Beck and I are like getting pieces of the book across that we hadn't quite finished we really had to let go of this whole pro- thought of it being perfect. I had self-edited my own book to about the halfway point, but then the second half was like still in a first draft mode. Yeah. The editors, we were told, would normally take a couple of weeks to go through all of the content. They basically had to turn around 24 hours because they then had to get to the next stage. It was a crazy whirlwind over those five days, 
but it was so amazing to get it done and to go back to Grant and to his team and, you know, to record yourself on Instagram and be like, holy moly, Grant, we did it. Um, Elena, Elena Cardone, his wife, actually responded to a DM. She was like, oh, we can't believe you did it. That's amazing. He's so excited. And so now we're just in talks with the team about where he sends traffic to, what, how he's going to promote it. Um, I'll speak to the publisher further on the weekends about... Because I asked for a hard copy and we obviously don't have a hard copy yet. So we'll talk to her about how we get that done and, and how we play this. How exciting. But we achieved something that... So can so could. people can download this book now though. Yes, hundred percent. On uh, your socials. Yes, so it's called Leave from the Front. Um, it's on my Instagram. Um, it's free for the moment. Um, so get in while it is free. Um, because when Grant starts to promote it, um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be we'll be charging for it. So get in now if you want. Get to. in now. Yeah. And I actually really enjoyed reading the first chapter of your book, which is your your story. It was mm. really it was kind of it was really nice to read just about you your journey and you've kind of touched on that a little bit um, as well. Um, Is there anything else that you'd want to share as part of, you know, your journey and how you've come to write this book and what you want people to get from it? Obviously, it's about leadership. Yeah. Leading from the front. Yeah. Um, Is there anything that you want to share in terms of, you know, what you want? What's the key takeout for people yeah. if they were to read your book? So the key takeout is if, if you're a manager or if you're a leader or if you're trying to influence people in any point in your life, whatever that is, the key takeout is how can you better serve other people? That's the re- really the reason for writing this book. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I saw how many people were affected by bad managers with that particular client and how it really, I don't want to dramatise things, but it really, really impacted their lives. We're humans. We have feelings. Think, yeah, It's not just going to work, leave, and you're fine. 100%. Um, exactly. And so if yeah. I can get the book into one manager's hands who perhaps doesn't get good results in his or her own business, um, perhaps mm-hmm. doesn't engage with his team or, or her team, or perhaps doesn't, get the most out of the people around them if I can get that book in in one person's hands and I go maybe I'm not treating people the way I should be or maybe that would be beneficial for my people and change their mindset then that can change their team's lives that's really what I want to get out of it yeah oh I love that that's awesome thank you and so what now that we're talking about leadership what do you see as a good leader in today's world obviously you said serving Mm. serving others helping others how else would you describe a good leader? That's the crux of it, selflessness for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this, and I agree completely that a leader's job, as a boss, you work for your employees, they don't work for you. Definitely, I agree. So to me, leadership is about empowering the people around me. Empowering is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but you know, lifting people up, giving them the tools that they need to be successful, and your job as a leader is to facilitate that. You have to come from a place of no ego. Um, it can't be about, oh, look what I've done for others. It can't be about, look what my team's achieved. I, h- I hate that phrase, my team, mm. because the reality is, as a team, as a business, as a unit, you can't achieve anything without you know, the, the impact of everybody all together. Yeah. Um, I say it to, to, to the guys all the time, without mm. you, I'm not able to deliver the results for us. I can't do anything without you guys. I need you on the same page as me. So I see leadership as giving them all the tools so they can be successful, which in turn makes us all successful. Mm. And what are, some, what are some tips for being able to provide the right tools at the right time to mm. certain people? You've got to know what makes your people tick. Um, you've got to build a relationship with them first. There's a whole heap of different strategies and techniques you can use to getting the most out of people, but none of them work if you don't have a good personal relationship with somebody. You need to, you know, really simple things. Know about their family, know about their hobbies, know about uh, their motivations, their goals, their aspirations, what they're trying to achieve in life, what's important to them. And then you can tailor your ways of teaching, you can tailor... Uh, the activities or the tasks that you give them according to their own personal values. So for example, if I have worker A over here who's very shy and very timid and I have worker B over here who's very direct and to the point, then if worker A is underperforming, well, I can't come in and just rocket worker A. 
I know I, that's not going to get the most out of work, A. Eh? I need to be gentle. I need to massage them. I need to show them the way with a lot of guidance, a lot of hand-holding. Worker B, who likes to hear it just how it is, if they're underperforming, if I massage them, they're going to think, Adrian, you're full of shit. Just tell me what I, what you want me to fix. So I need to just come in and tell them what it is directly. Yeah. Um, and I can't do that if I don't know my people. That's a really basic example. But understanding what makes people tick at a deeper level and their motivations um, is probably the number one tip I could give. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's really good. And so when did you move into a leadership position? Mm. Is it a recent a recent change or...? From a recruitment perspective, about two years ago. Yeah. Um, so in, my, in our recruitment company, they basically get you mentoring people first. Um, and you do that, I, I probably did that for six, seven, maybe eight months um, before I got an official management title. Um, but even once I got that official title, I still had no idea what the hell I was doing. Like, I'm yeah. still learning. I'm still learning. <laughs> That's why people go. need your book. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we don't stop learning, do you know what I mean? And, mm. and um, yeah, so it was probably about two years ago where it officially first started in a business context. But I think, again, comes back to my basketball and my refereeing, you know, because I was, because I did work hard at that and because it was something that I was passionate about and I enjoyed, I loved basketball, um, my hard work meant I was, I was, I was actually, I was, I was good at it without sounding arrogant. It's, it's a hard, it's not arrogant. It's hard to say yeah. those things without sounding like but it. But no, you don't, no. But what that, <laughs> what that meant was people would come to me for guidance. Uh, they'd want to work with you. They'd want to know how you would go on a big game and what your mindset was and how you tackle situations with a coach yelling at you when you've got a seven-foot player standing over the top of you, how you deal with things. And so I guess I was always kind of coaching and training and developing on something that I was just naturally passionate about in basketball. Yeah. And now I've just been able to translate that into business. Mm. And can you describe a little bit more about being a referee for people who yeah. might not know? Because yeah. it's not a very popular no. place to be. No. But, no. You walk in and you're immediately hated <laughs> by nine-tenths of the venue. So it takes a lot of resilience, um, which is important. And if you want to do anything big in life, you need to be resilient and you need to get up when you get pushed down. Um, and basketball taught me that, you know, as a kid at 18, 19, 20 years old, going around to stadiums in the middle of nowhere on a Saturday night, you know, being in some crappy hotel room with some random bloke who's in his 30s, 40s or 50s, and all your friends are out having fun, and you're like, why am I doing this? Um, I, people are abusing me in the car park. Um, people are yelling all kinds of horrible things at me. Um, you know, people are trying to fight me. Like, it's super intimidating. Um, but that taught me how to have a backbone and how to be strong and how to be resilient, like I said. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely tough. Um, but it doesn't have to be refereeing. You know, you can have any aspect of your life that challenges you and, and pushes you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. And I would say lean into that. Um, helps if you're passionate about it because I, I loved basketball and I loved being able to rub shoulders with some of the best players. Do you know what I mean? Because I couldn't play to save myself. Yeah. But the, the people around me could and I loved being in the game. But whatever that thing is for you, lean into that discomfort because that's what will make you grow the most. Mm, definitely. And I remember reading um, one of the passages in your chapter where you were talking about how you left a game and this older woman comes up to you like, basically abusing you after the game probably weren't referring great no i'm just kidding <laughs> it happens i had some stinkers no. it happens no i'm just kidding no but what really um like what i really felt by reading that was your heartache from that moment like someone just coming up to you just yelling at you for doing your job and that feeling of just like oh you know like that pain and i think what you said about loving what you're doing makes that easier because that's where the growth is. That's, yeah, that discomfort is where the growth is. 100%. Um, I remember that situation vividly. It was in my first season of, of moving my way up through some, some of the more important ranks, if you will, but it was at the very bottom. So like I was refing pretty tough games because yeah. people are just like low-skilled, trying to beat each other up <laughs> it was hard yeah. and you're out in the middle of nowhere and I remember that oh. game I, you know I probably didn't do a very good job um, even right right the whole way through didn't 
doesn't matter how experienced you become, you never referee a perfect game. It's the same with leadership, it's the same with anything. It doesn't matter Everything. how good you are, you'll never get it 100% correct each and every time. And I remember that game and, you know, uh, I did what I needed to do. I didn't light the world on fire. And it was the coach's wife and she came out, she saw me in the car park and, you know, I was feeling a little bit despondent because it wasn't my best game ever. And she just yelled at me and she's like you're this and you're that and she's swearing at me and carrying on and when she finished and she drove off like her coach the coach who was her husband just stared at me kind of like with this almost like I agree with everything that she's saying but I can't say it because I'm the coach look on his face yeah um that smug look yeah and they (laughs) but it was also kind of a look of I'm also a little bit embarrassed that my wife is abusing you like this it was kind of this weird like I agree with it but she's definitely not doing things she's the right way. She's crossing a line. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they drove off. And I remember looking at myself in the reflection of my car. I'm like four games in of doing this. I'm like, what am I, what am I doing with myself? But, but I had to remind myself that I, I don't do this for you. I do it for the game. I do it for my enjoyment. Um, but I had to be resilient enough to push past that. Because at that moment in time, and it wasn't the only moment that that happened, I felt really hurt and really upset. So you do have to have resilience see to get back up and push through Mm. and I think that's actually a really hard thing to do in the moment to stop your thoughts and instead of getting stuck in all the negative thoughts to actually step away from that and go actually what am I doing this for yep this isn't to please all of these people it's for my love of this game basically 100% so that takes a lot of courage to do self-talk I agree completely but self-talk is something that's um that that I do a lot of I feel insecurities, I feel hopelessness, I feel sadness, I feel fear, just like everybody else. Mm. Um, but in those moments, I like to refer back to a time where I was able to have success or a time where I achieved something that I didn't think I could mm. um, and talk my, talk my way through it. It's almost like having your own little coach on your shoulder, yeah. like giving you a little pep talk almost. Um, and it sounds super corny, but self-talk is so, so important. You know, you're not born with resilience, resiliency. You're not born with being resilient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's something you have to develop yourself. And for me, that comes through self-talk. Yeah, I love that. And I think I, I told you this last time I saw you, but the concept of the cookie jar yes. that was created by David Goggins. Yes. So um, that's essentially what he does. He has written down all the things that he thought he would never achieve yeah. in life. And every time he's in a really shitty place, he'll take that out and he'll look at it and he'll remind himself of all the amazing things he's done and the fact that he can actually achieve I them. love it. And it's visual. It's visual. And it's, yeah, it's a great reminder. I love it. Um, so going through all of these experiences for the purpose of sharing with others how how you have maybe overcome something that you weren't great at mm. maybe some of your weak weaknesses yeah um can you talk about what you think they are and how you've tackled them yeah absolutely if we're talking in in a personal setting you know Obviously, I spoke about a weakness being I wasn't a hard enough worker. Mm-hmm. To overcome that, I just had to give myself a, a kick up the bum. Um, I had to really get connected to what was important to me, and I just had to go for it. At some point, you know, you can read all the books, you can watch all the videos, and you know, talk to as many people as you want. But at some point, you just have to take action and, and committed action, and then the next day take action, and the next day take take mm-hmm. action, and continue to do that. So, from a personal perspective, my weakness was an effort thing or a lack thereof mindset. That's right. That's right. So I just had to really give myself a kick up the bum. From a business perspective, I'm not strong. So I'm a very detail-oriented person, but I'm not strong on technical aspects of things. So if you try and sit me down and teach me a new software, I'm not your man. Um, if If you give me lots of little different bits and pieces of compliance to do and I have lots of check boxes that I need... I'm not, not an admin guy. Not an admin <laughs> guy. No, that's right. And I'm, I'm, I'm bad at that stuff. I'm great at building relationships. I'm great at developing business, but I'm really bad at the little nitty gritties. Mm-hmm. So to overcome that, first of all, I have to own it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes people go, oh, I just own it. And that means that it is what it is. You have to work at it too. You can't just own it and brush, mm-hmm. wipe your hands of it. Mm-hmm. You have to work at that and make a conscious effort. But not to the detriment that you lose your strengths. You want to invest a bit of time into improving those weaknesses, but you really want to surround yourself with the right people who can complement those weaknesses of you. 
And so that's what I've done um, with my team is that the people around me are actually really good at the stuff that I'm not good at. Yeah. Um, and then that frees up my time to give them my skills to bring them up in the stuff that I'm stronger in. Yeah. And so that's why I say it's really a team effort and why I truly believe that you as a manager or a leader can't achieve anything on your own. It's, yeah. You really need everyone around you. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. And I think a lot of people feel like they need to know everything being in a leadership position, but actually acknowledging that you don't and that you're, you are working with others to complement you. And Correct. it is truly a team effort. Correct. And do you know what? The byproduct of that is the people who you're getting their help they now feel even more empowered. They feel more aligned because now you're going to them going, hey, Sherry, I need your help with X, Y, and Z. Mm. I can't do this. I'm not very good at it, but you are the expert in this. So I need you to take point on this. And it gives them a little bit of a buzz and it gives them yeah. confidence. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an equal playing field. Mm, I love that. So what about uh, a time in your life or something that you're really proud of? Yeah. From a selfish perspective, I'm proud of completing university, something that I thought I could never do. Even though do. you hated it. Even though I hated it. I wanted to quit every single day. Yeah. But that's why I was proud of it, because yeah. I didn't quit. Um, yeah, good one. I'm proud of, obviously, the book. But, you know, I, I thought about this question over the last couple of days. And what, what I'm most proud of is the journey that I've gone through with, um, with one staff member in particular. Um, great staff member. Um, phenomenal person, um, had all the talent in the world, but was struggling when she first started with us. So when I bring people into my team, I look for four things. I look for um, a willingness to work really, really hard, a willingness to be selfless, so to work hard for your teammates, a willingness to take on board feedback, and a willingness to have fun. Like we talk shit all day mm. and that's really important. That's part of our culture. We have banter and we make jokes and, and laugh at one another's expense. But those are the four things that I look for. And this particular person had those things. I loved her. I said, you coming in, if you accept this role, you're coming into a family environment. I'm going to work really, really closely with you. I laid out my expectations of her, but also laid out what she would be getting from me. But at the beginning, she struggled um, as did I when I started in the recruitment game I, I was a slow learner like I said so I struggled as well so I could understand where she was coming from but she lacked speed she lacked a sense of urgency she very much remained in her comfort zone um, and it was to the point where I had to have a firm conversation or two with her basically saying we're not getting enough out of you from what we need to be successful as a team um, we need to do X, Y and Z together to get you over this hump and so to answer your question, what am I most proud of? It's that not only did we get her over that hump, but she's now one of the most successful consultants on our floor. I said to her, I said, you basically have two options here. You can say, Adrian, I think you're full of shit and you can go and jam it and I'm leaving. Or you can go home and reflect on what we've talked about and go, all right, I've acknowledged these are my shortcomings. I need to do X, Y, and Z, which Adrian said he's going to do with me. Um, let's go and make it happen. And she took the second route. She acknowledged the shortcomings. We worked hard together. We worked extraordinarily hard together. But at the end of the day, she did the work. Mm. And I'm really proud of seeing the person she is now. I had a one-on-one -on -one catch up with her only yesterday. And she was giving me all this knowledge about her industry and technical stuff. She was teaching me stuff. And I just sat there with like this beaming look in my face, like, look at who you've grown into from this shy, timid person to this phenomenal consultant who still has all the attributes that we hired you for, but now is extremely, extremely successful in her field. That's really, that fills me with pride. I love that. That's awesome. And I think a lot of that like flows into the culture of the workplace yeah. as well. So you're creating this culture of having fun at work, learning, growing together, doing things as a team, yeah. looking out for each other. Yeah. So how would you describe workplace culture mm. for you and why do you think it's important? What, what things do you do to make it really thrive? Great question. There's a lot of things to it and I know obviously leadership is already something you've spoken about and yeah. is a huge huge part of it yeah but yeah keen to hear more of your thoughts on it yeah it's an awesome question um 
I personally find culture hard to define because it's kind of like a vibe. It's mm. the feeling of a place. It's the beliefs and the values that people hold all together. It's, I guess, the vision that you're all working towards together and what you're trying to achieve as a unit. For example, you might have a high-performance culture, a culture that drives to hit targets, um, you know, celebrates success, um, really pushes and goes all in. Yeah. But the, and, and to me, that's, that, that's a way of living, you know, that, that's a culture there. Or you can have a toxic culture where people are selfish, they don't want to work for one another, um, they talk and bicker behind one another's backs, um, there's no authenticity, um, it's an uncomfortable place to be. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a feel, you know, when you walk into a place and you're like, I'm vibing with this, mm, I like what we're energy, doing. that good energy or that toxic energy. The energy, build. yes, yeah. there you go. You summarised yeah. what I'm trying to say, it's the energy. <laughs> energy yeah. um, and... How do, how do we foster that? Well, you need to nurture it. It's like a plant. It's like a human. Mm. You need to nurture it. So it takes time. Um, it doesn't come from one person. It starts from the top, uh, of course. And, you know, I'm sitting in middle management, so it starts above me from what our directors and our executive directors and managing directors, all that jazz, all the way up there, this is how we are going to run our business. And then it's the responsibility of each person that filters down to say, okay, this is how we want to run our business, but overall, this is how I want to work in my little sphere. And this is what's important to me. These are my non-negotiables and these are my values. Um, and so for me, you know, I like to recognize success as much as I can. Um, I like to uh, reward people as much as I can as well. Um, we go out on, on lunches and things like that. Um, we have little competitions. Uh, we have, I don't know. What kind of competitions? Oh, what's a good one? So we have we had an activity competition recently. Yeah. This wasn't just in my team. This was the whole wider yeah. team, but um, but but it was called uh, Pod Wars. And so basically, the little individual teams were all competing on who could do the most activity. So who could make the most candidate calls? Who could make oh. the most business development calls? Yeah. And whoever made the most calls would go out on a lunch. I think we went to uh, the conservatory. Oh, nice. And so a really beautiful lunch. Um, when we meet budgets, we go on, you know, we we'll go out for drinks or we'll go bowling or do an activity, you know, an escape room, something like that. Um, a whole range of different things and you will tweak them according to what's important to your people. Yeah. If you don't have a drinking culture, don't go out for drinks as a reward because people don't want that. Do you know what I mean? If you've got all mothers, perhaps that's not what they want. Yeah. Um, if you've got a younger culture, perhaps going out is what they want. You know, you, you just got to pick and choose and, and make it appropriate. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of stuff that, that builds culture from a rewards perspective, but it's the day-to-day. -day. It really is the day-to-day. -day. It's how you show up every single day. Um, I'm not perfect. I definitely have my down days and days where I feel negative and I'm grumpy, but, but you have to catch yourself and notice that your energy can impact other people around you, which then in turn impacts the culture. If that goes on for too long, now we start bordering onto that toxic, uncomfortable place, yeah? Mm. So it's a day-to-day -day stuff. It's, you know, I, I, I take the, the piss out of people all the time because I want them to take the piss out of me. You have to be able to receive it to give it out. Yeah. So we joke about one another. Um, you know, I genuinely care about their families. I, I, I make it a point to ask how their night was every single morning. It sounds like a small thing. How was your night? It is a how really big weekend? thing, actually, like getting to know people outside of what they're doing at work. Correct. Yeah. Correct. For sure. Building genuine relationships with people. Um, and then... As a leader, when you need to be a bit firmer on a direction to say, hey, Sherry, I need you to do this, please, because you've gone the extra mile to genuinely build relationships with people, they're willing to do that for you. Mm -hmm. But if you're an asshole, and then you say, hey, get this done, <laughs> no chance, mate, because they're not on the same page as you. They're not bought in. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been part of a culture that's been toxic? Not in recruitment. Um, been very, very lucky very blessed mm -hmm. yes I've definitely worked with clients who have toxic cultures and that's a challenge because part of our role as consultants is to try and improve that culture but then also solve their problem which is getting the right candidate who can do the work but the right candidate the A grade candidates don't want to be in a toxic culture so mm -hmm. you, you kind of got to work from both angles so I've definitely seen toxic cultures. Um, we work with a lot of them. How do you... Um, so if you're recruiting someone that's like top talent... Yeah. For a company, you get the vibe 
might not have the best culture yeah. and you think that that's what the candidates obviously don't want. Yes. Can they feel that feel that going into interviews? How do they perceive that? Absolutely, they can feel it. I wouldn't put my top talent into a negative culture. So I refer to them as your A-grade candidates, A-grade talent. And again, coming back to what I spoke about with the person who had all the right mindsets and the right attitude in my team, um, I'm not necessarily basing an A-grade talent on qualifications or experience. I'm looking for their attitude. How do they engage with people? What's their communication like? What are their personal values? How hard are they willing to work for, for our clients? And if they have those things, then 99% of the time, they want to work for a company and an organization that has the same values as them, as they should, as everyone would want to work for the best company. So if I've got a client who has a toxic culture and I'm trying my best to change that, but it's a bigger beast than I as one person can change. Oh, we've just lost the light. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> If I, what, have you turned it on? Are you meant to just move? I don't know. I okay. don't know. <laughs> That's fine. Yep. If I'm... Do you know what? It might be a little light over here. Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. It was fine anyway. Like, this is... It's cool. all good. It's what happens when you stay still for too long. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. If I'm trying to service a client who has that, that bad culture, I'll just be flat out honest with the candidate. I know Mr. or Mrs. Candidate, this is what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, this is the opportunity that on paper it aligns with what you've asked me for, but I need to be honest with you, these are the drawbacks. And then the decision's theirs. Um, there'll be certain extreme cases where you have to say to a, to a client, no, I'm not going to service that particular role or I can't help you or you're not going to be getting the best type of candidate because the best type of candidate simply won't work here. There will be those extreme cases but for the most part, it's about being really, really honest with your candidates and your clients and saying, here's the opportunity, here's what's good about it, this is what I like about it. It's not all bad, otherwise I wouldn't be calling you. But here are the drawbacks. What's your thoughts? Because it's their life I want them to tell me. Mm, I love that honesty. You have to be. You have to be. People can, people can sense when you're not honest. Yeah. Sometimes it shoots you in the foot. Sometimes you can be too honest and, you know, they go... I don't know, it, let's use a recruitment as an example. You can be too honest and they say, thanks for your honesty, but no, I'm not going to work there. And then you can't find someone and then you don't serve as a client and then you don't get paid. But at the end of the day, I would, I feel better about myself being honest and that person knowing that they can trust me as a consultant yeah. as opposed to making a quick buck on them and, and being like a used car salesman. Yeah. So yeah. authenticity and honesty is everything to me. Yeah, I love that. It's really good. I think it's such a good value to have in what you do because it is someone's life. 100%. You're putting them in a job for who knows how long. 100%. So that's 100%. really good. What are your thoughts on... Um, it sounds like you may not have needed to do that like where you're working now in recruitment and maybe it's, so it's, maybe it's not in the corporate world, but just thinking on uh, trying to convince or influence others who might not really be putting effort into workplace culture or thinking about people at work as humans mm. um what are your thoughts on influencing them to sort of focus on that more than they are yeah yeah it's a good question first of all you just you simply have to understand that your people are your biggest asset like we said earlier you can't achieve anything without the people around you the needle won't, the dial won't move, nothing will happen. Mm. Um, I think a lot of businesses get this wrong, to be honest with you. I think they see a lot of people as numbers and they just look at it as a dollar figure. But the reality is when you have an engaged workforce who are bought in, they will work harder for you. That's why it's the leader's role to bring the people along the journey, to engage them and connect them to the vision so that then they can go and service the customers. Um, Richard, Richard Branson talks about it, actually. I think he, he's got a quote that says something to the effect of train your people so well um, that they can leave. Um, and then, you know, there was a question that was posed of him, but what if they do leave? And, you know, the response was, well, what if they stay? Yeah. You know what I mean? Train them so well that they can leave, but treat them so well that they don't want to. Yeah. Something to that effect. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, so I, I think it's, it's everything, to be honest with you, Sherry. I think it's everything. Um, businesses need, in my opinion, 
need to make a more concerted effort into engaging with their people, getting the most out of them. And the only way you can do that is by looking after your people. You have to know where work fits into people's lives, yeah? So when, when an employee comes through the doors, yeah, they're nine to five, there's expectations that they need to perform and need to achieve, but they've also got family pressures, they might have financial strains, they might have relationship breakdowns, they've got different hobbies and dreams, whole range of things are going on in their life work is one part of it but it is not their life and i think the sooner managers and leaders understand that the sooner they can start connecting with people at a more deeper at a deeper level um and just knowing where it fits in and how to tailor their approaches because the the reality is if you get stuck in this you know hamster wheel of turnover hire someone else train them up have them for a short period, then lose them and it just keeps going, well, your business isn't going to see the results that you're looking for anyway. Your customers are going to become disgruntled. You're not going to have continuity in the work that you're doing. You're going to be losing intellectual property and and knowledge, a whole range of issues. You've got to look after your people. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've already answered this question in um, other parts of this, but one of the questions I love asking is what are the small things or the little things that you do? It can be in life or at work that you feel like have made a really big positive difference, Mm. whether it's to other people or whether it's for yourself personally. What I noticed uh, as something that was really special from my immediate manager and my immediate director which I then in turn implement into my team, is just caring about people. And so that means, sometimes caring means giving them a a kick. Sometimes you've got to give them a little push because they're not performing as well as they can be. Sometimes caring means staying back late to give them extra training. Sometimes caring means you can see they're struggling, so just going for a coffee. Sometimes caring, or all the time caring, means asking how their weekend was. You know, how their night was, what did they get up to? Trying your best to actually remember what these people do so that you can talk about it. Um, it's something that I noticed that my leaders were doing to me. And I thought, geez, I feel good about myself when these people sit me down and they talk to me and, and they, they know what my strengths are, they know what my weaknesses are, and they use me in a way that allows me to keep growing as a person whilst also giving them the results they need. And then so I try to do the same, but you can only do that if you care. Do you know? Because mm-hmm. if you don't care, you just lump everyone in the same pile and you go, sit down, shut up, just do it. I don't want to hear from you. But that's not, that's not leadership. Mm. It's such a simple thing, caring. And I mm. think people who are in business and people who have a lot of pressures, especially in your position where you're sitting in middle management, you've got a lot of pressure coming from the top. So you're handling that. So you're managing up, but then also you're caring and you're on the ground with all of your team. Yes. Uh, I'm really curious to know how you handle the pressure from the top and making sure that that energy doesn't flow on to anyone yeah. in your team. Yeah. This is an amazing question because it's probably one of the... It's probably the biggest challenge of middle management. The reality is you're, you've moved up high enough that you can make... Uh, you can influence people and you can impact other people's lives but you haven't progressed up the corporate ladder enough to to make V calls, V decisions on how it's gonna work. And at a certain point, you do have to fall in line and just follow the direction. How do I deal with that? How do I manage up? For me, it comes back to being genuine and authentic and honest. So I might not agree with something that happens from above me and I have to relay that down below. I have to make a judgment call as a middle manager on whether I actually do relay it. Like, is this so important that they need to hear this? Or can I protect my team and maybe just cop a little bit of a barrage and just go, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir? (laughs) Can I I just wear that to, to shield my team? Or do I actually need to deliver this message? Whatever the decision is, if I have to deliver the message, well, then I still want to be genuine and authentic in it, right? So... Um, I don't know, you're wearing a red jumper, okay? So imagine senior management go, we're all going to wear red jumpers right now, okay? And I don't like the colour red. I I like blue, all right? I know my team likes blue as well. So I now have to go and tell them they're going to wear red. For me to be genuine and authentic, I need to be honest with them. Look, this is what I have been told. 
Unfortunately, I've tried to suggest these things. I've tried to suggest blue. What about green? Can we wear a different color? Does it have to be that color of red? Unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears. We are going to have to wear red, but I understand where you're coming from because I don't want to wear red either. Let's get through it together. You know, none of us want to do this, but we're all in it together. That type of thing, obviously that's just a made up rubbish example. But no, but I can completely relate to that example because that happens. You? Yeah, well, yeah. in business, like someone tells you to do something that you don't agree with. Yes. You're not the final decision maker being in your position as Correct. a middle manager. Correct. So how do you, yeah, so dealing with that is, a, yeah, that's a really great way to be able to communicate to your team that, hey, this is a situation, this is a reality, I've tried my best, but... And, and yeah. you people respect it because they don't just look at you and they, they don't just lump it with the, the, the upper decision and go, oh, this guy doesn't get it. He doesn't understand this at all. They, they look at him and go, he understands that we don't like the colour red, but we just have to do it. And then it's a balancing act between being authentic and genuine with them, but not being negative about that decision. Um, so it's, it's, it's push and pull, give and take, do you know? I don't want to do this. you still want to keep their spirits up. Correct. I don't want to do this, but we have to. You know, come on, let's go along. I understand the struggles. Come on. And it's, it's kind of that give and take, if mm. you will. So then in that, being in that position as well, it, who do you go to to vent? Mm. Or who do you go to to be able to have, like, side conversations yeah. to help with maybe your emotions? Yes, and being able to manage that energy. 100%. Do you have someone, like a go-to person, or are you doing it yourself for yourself? How do you do that? Definitely have a go-to person. Venting is so, so important, um, for me anyway. Uh, I find when I try to keep things in is typically when they boil over and then you have a reaction to something that you didn't need to have a reaction to. You know, a small little thing that, that sort of sets that you off. That you off, yep. That's right. And as a leader, it's important not to do that because you do need to be in control of your emotions and, and as even keeled as possible. You are still a human being. Um, family, for me, massive one. Um, my partner, Rebecca, massive one. Um, but sometimes you also have to have courage in your convictions and sometimes part of managing up is expressing those frustrations to upper management and going, hang on guys, this isn't okay. This is what we stand for or this is our suggestion, this is our recommendation. And it's just having courage in your convictions to have those conversations because you will, you will get shut down more often than you will be acknowledged. And that's in any aspect of business and you just have to be prepared. But then you have to be prepared to have those tough conversations at times. Pick and choose your battles. Can't do it all the yeah. time. But then if you get told a firm no, well, then you have to accept it and you have to move on. And that's something I've been learning recently, actually, to mm. be honest. How would you... What advice would you give to people who want to do more of that and have courage to do that? What advice would you give to them in terms of how they frame up that conversation? Mm especially in the times where they do pick that battle when it's really important to them, how do you, yeah, how do you suggest that they pull that together for yeah. upper management when they don't be, like believe in it or it's not aligned to their yes. values? Yes. You have, to, you have to do it respectfully, first and foremost. So it's not coming in, kicking and screaming, going, red shit, we don't want that, we want blue. You have to do it respectfully, of course. Yeah. Um, you have to have some facts behind you, yeah? So you're going to have to present a bit of a business case. This is part of influencing people. You know, when, when if you're trying to sell people on anything, hey, I think you should wear, wear red or blue instead of red. You have to sell them on the reasons why. Um, you have to relate it back to the benefits to the other person. So continuing on with my crappy little example, if I want to get my directors to let us wear blue instead of red, I need to let them know why blue is going to have a benefit to them. Not just because we want to wear blue, but what do they get out of us actually wearing blue instead of wearing red? Um, so you've got to, kind of got to take people on a little bit of a journey. You need to do it respectfully. Um, you need to pick and choose the right moments to do that as well. Yeah. So like, for example, I'm not a morning person. Mm. So if someone has something really, really heavy to bring to me, they know not to do it before my coffee because yeah, I'll sit there with the like a, a stunned <laughs> look on my face. But I need to know that about my managers as well, my directors. 
So if I can see, well, there's there's this particular issue going on in the business, or they're under this particular pressure right now, I'm not going to come to them with a jumper color. Yeah, mm. pick and choose your moments. Pick and choose your moments. Do it respectfully and sell the benefits to them. That's yeah. probably my advice. Yeah, that's really good advice, and I think it's really helpful. Like it, the little things, like picking the right moments, knowing that you're basically selling an idea back to them even though you you just know it just logically makes so much sense yes. to do yes um so no that's really good so last question yeah it's just my favorite question is who are your heroes and why oh who are my heroes and heroes are people who inspire you they can be people who are famous they can be people in your life yeah anyone so my, my brain goes two ways when I think of heroes for me. Number one is someone with a burning desire and an incredible work ethic. And I think of like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know, he talks about being the hardest worker in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, I, I don't know if you know his story, but he came from nothing basically. He, I think he went, I don't know it intimately, but um, he was on the cusp of becoming a professional footballer uh, in the NFL or he might have actually got there and then for whatever reason he was out of the league he had like $7 in his pocket he's quoted saying and he was dead broke but he knew he wasn't going to be that way forever and you know what he does in business ventures um, he's got partnerships with different companies left right and centre what he does in movies um, in television um, just training his body the fact that he fits all of those things into into one day into 24 hours and he does it with this like passion and this love and zest mm-hmm. for life. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I think of the Michael Jordans of the world who just work and they've got this intense work ethic and desire to be great. And it's not about the end result. It's just about I want to be the best I can be. And if I fall short, but I've tried my hardest, then I don't care. Yeah. So that's one aspect of who are your heroes. And I think of those types of people, the Rocks and mm-hmm. the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses mm-hmm. of the world. The other way my mind thinks is people with humility and kindness. Um, I think of my mother. Mm. She's the sweetest woman mm. I know. She's an absolute sweetheart. <laughs> She's got a fiery side to her. Like I said, she put a rocket up me once or twice. Sounded like she needed to. She needed to, yes, very much so. But she, she'll give the clothes off her back. Um, she'll go to the ends of the earth for someone. Um, people adore her, and rightfully so, just as they should. Similar to my father, you know, he grew up in, um, he grew up in tough circumstances. You know, he, he moved around from home to home, and he didn't have a lot. Um, you know, his parents couldn't afford to, to keep all of the kids. Um, but still, he worked his butt off to provide for his family and he'd give the shirt off his back for for anyone. And so I love that selflessness and that kindness. So my parents are heroes to me. Um, My partner, Rebecca, is a hero. Um, I look at how how kind she is to people. Um, And in situations where my first reaction would be to get angry, hers is to look at it from a place of empathy and compassion. And that's always a good reminder to me. And it sort of mellows me because I'm a high energy type of guy. Um, And just, you know, I saw saw the previous interview and, um, and you guys were talking about a homeless man who helped another homeless man. And I thought that is so true. And I, I, I put myself in that position and thought I probably would have walked past that gentleman who was being sick into the bin as well, which isn't okay. Mm. Like I need to be better than that. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a particular person, but someone who demonstrates those, uh, a willingness to help others mm. like the other homeless man who went over and said, are you okay? And you see those types of heroes day in and day out. It could be the smallest thing. Yeah. Just uh, how are you or helping a, an old lady cross the road or someone drops their books and you pick it up. Just those little acts of kindness. To me, those people, uh, we need more of them in the world um, and they inspire me. Yeah. 
It's a really good combination that you've described in those people. So compassion, love, kindness, empathy, and really good work ethic. And it feels like all of those things are tied into your story as well. Mm, I hope so. I hope so. And, mm. and th- th- that's the idea is to, to use your own stories to help and impact other people. Um, I talk about my shortcomings and my failures and my inabilities and my weaknesses a lot with my people. Um, and I give, there's my people, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. With, with the, the people around me so yeah. that they can see they don't need to be perfect so they can see that you can go through ups and downs and failures And that all comes from a place of compassion and and kindness, basically. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was awesome. Pleasure. Thank Thank you so much, Sherry. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Behind the Bee Box. My journey with Brainy Box has inspired me to share what I've learned from others with you in the hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business or workplace. Your feedback and love is what keeps me going. So please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Brainy Box or connect with me on LinkedIn at Sherry Amami. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Have a wonderful week and I'll speak to you soon.